morning and welcome and uh, happy holiday weekend as we remember uh, the blessings we enjoy in this country together. Uh, I was reading uh, historically, um, I'm interested in aviation and I was interested in parachutes and uh, because I think a parachute's always a good thing to have if uh, your aircraft is not functioning correctly. I always wonder about people who skydive because why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Uh, I, I know some of you have too, by the way. Uh, but uh, uh, in 1911, uh, there was a French, French man who uh, on February 22nd, his name is Gaston Herview, he climbed the Eiffel Tower to test a new parachute he'd invented for uh, pilots, for those in hot air balloons or in, in gas balloons, as well as uh, the relatively new uh, airship that uh, was beginning to fly. He checked the wind, and it's reported he took a nervous breath, and he began his test. His silk parachute filled with air and then sailed safely to the ground. Uh, her view, by the way, did not make the jump himself. He had a test dummy, a uh, 160-pound test dummy on this parachute, and, uh, but one man was outraged that he didn't jump himself with his parachute, and that was Franz Reichelt. And let me see if I have a picture of him. Yeah, Franz Reichelt. He was an Aust Austrian tailor, and he had designed his own version of the parachute, and uh, he denounced Hairview's use of a dummy as a sham. And then one year later, on Sunday, February 4th, 1912, he arrived at the Eiffel Tower to conduct his own experiment. And here he is. And he has his parachute suit on. There we go. Uh, and he arrived on a cold February morning. Uh, there was a few press members there and a rather small gathering of observers. And he posed for pictures and he announced, quote, I am so convinced that my device will work properly that I will jump myself. A French policeman tried to talk him out of it, was going to forbid him to jump, but uh, uh, Reichart... Uh, he, he prevailed, and uh, he didn't stop. Uh, the first guy, Gaston Herview, pulled him aside and tried to stop him, and Herview claimed that there were technical reasons why Reichardt's uh, parachute would not work, and the two men had a heated discussion, and finally, I think it's Rachel, really is his name, walked away. Uh, I have read that modern parachutes use about 700 square feet of fabric and should be deployed above 250 feet above the ground. Uh, Rachel's parachute used less than 350 square feet of fabric, and he deployed it at 187 feet. Uh, there his, his suit deployed, and he jumped from the observation first level, which is 187 feet above uh, Earth. Uh, and I think that's almost like jumping off an 18-story building. <laughs> Uh, but uh, he neither had the surface uh, of parachute material or the altitude needed to make a successful jump. And uh, her view, the first guy, wasn't the only one who told Rachel that his parachute suit would not work. It had been rejected by a team of experts who told him, the surface of your device is too small, you will break your neck, unquote. He not only ignored the experts, he ignored his own data. He tested his parachute using dummies, and they crashed. He tested his parachute by jumping 30 feet into a haystack, and he crashed. He tested his parachute by jumping 20 feet without a haystack, and he crashed and broke his leg. Uh, instead of changing his invention, he clung to his bad idea in the face of all evidence and advice, and it, uh, it knows the result. Franz Gokersplatt. 
and uh, he accelerated constantly when he bailed off the Eiffel Tower, and he hit with a thud. The ground was frozen, and he still left a six-inch deep impact dent, and that was the end of Franz. So the question remains, is that wisdom or folly? Wisdom or folly? And, of course, he's gone down in history as one of the fools of history. He may have been a very bright young man. He may have had a life that was very distinguished until this point. And then he made one foolish decision, and he's forever known as the man who was a man of folly. And so we come, is it wisdom or folly? Uh, It's true that we yearn for wisdom, and we look for wisdom. Sage advice, and it doesn't come automatically as you get older, by the way. As I age, I recognize is just because you have a number of years behind you doesn't mean you are a wise person. American comedian Tom Wilson is quoted as saying, quote, wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age. Sometimes age just shows up by itself, unquote. <laughs> Almost synonymous with the word wisdom is the name Solomon, as Wes read for us uh, that account of Solomon being the wisest man in the world. After all, he was not only a great king who governed his people of Israel with integrity and renowned good judgment, he was an esteemed philosopher, writer, teacher. Scholars uh, widely agree that most of the words in the book of Proverbs are Solomon's, uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And uh, I often consider, how did Solomon get so wise? Well, he asked for wisdom. He was sensitive to God himself, and God was so pleased to bestow him with great wisdom. And so we open the word, words of Proverbs, and you're probably very familiar with the book of Proverbs. I'm going to begin a, a study uh, for the next seven weeks. It's going to be a short. We're not going to cover the whole book, obviously. In fact, Proverbs does not necessarily lend itself to expositional preaching, especially after you get past chapter 9, uh, but we will uh, dive into that. One of the things uh, in my interest in aviation is, uh, let me go to this next slide here. The, the subtitle today is, or the title is Living Skillfully in a Sinful World. And we want to be skillful in our lives. Nobody, I think, wants to be a fool. Uh, in, the, in an aircraft, if you're familiar with uh, aircraft, uh, there are gauges and there are indicators which tell you how your, how your flight is going along. And it's hard to see the numbers around the gauges, but the upper left gauge is the airspeed indicator. This tells you how fast you're going through the air, how fast you are getting to your destination in your airspeed. Uh, Number two, the top middle, is the attitude indicator. It tells you if you are upside down or sideways or where you're at. Now, if you want to be upside down, that's another thing. But uh, I never want to be upside down in an airplane. Uh, The one on the upper right is the altimeter, tells how high you are above sea level if it is set correctly. So that'll give you an idea of your altitude. Uh, Bottom right hand, number four, is the vertical speed indicator. If that is going down at a high rate of minutes or of uh, feet per minute, like 6,000 feet per minute, the earth is getting very large in your vision, and you may not want that. The middle bottom uh, one, number five, is the heading indicator, the one right in the middle there, and that tells you if the direction you're going is the direction you plan to go on the compass. And then the final one is the turn coordinator. So if you have to make a 
choice to turn around, you can make a coordinated turn if you fly into clouds or adverse weather and come out on the other side going back the direction you came from. But I think uh, we call this the six-pack of gauges. Now, when you think of a six-pack, you may think of uh, a soda or you may think of six-pack abs, and I'm beyond both of those things right now. Uh, but the six-pack of gauges in an airplane, pilots are taught to scan these, to visually scan these, to repeat the scan to make sure that the flight is going along the way you had planned it and you're not going to kill yourself or your passengers. And uh, so it's very important to learn to scan these instruments. And I think it serves as a metaphor for the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is like six-pack gauges. It speaks to our lives. It tells us so much in very practical language about our lives today, not only in Solomon's time in 900 B.C., but in our time in the 21st century. It is so appropriate and relevant and practical to our day-to-day -day lives. We are going to do a survey of Proverbs today, and it'll be just an introduction and orientation because you probably, if you do devotions out of some devotional guide, they'll probably have you read a proverb every day. Some people have the practice of reading a chapter of Proverbs every day. That way, in a month's time, they will cover the 31 chapters of Proverbs, and that's a good exercise to do. It's a good reminder because Proverbs, out of all the Old Testament books, is probably the most practical book uh, for life today in the sense that it is called wisdom literature. It is wisdom literature. And in the Bible, there are different types of literature, like in the New Testament, uh, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, that's called teaching literature. That's a literary style that is for teaching doctrine. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have historical narrative, uh, like uh, Samuel and, and uh, Chronicles and Kings, and we have wisdom literature, poetic literature, which is Psalms and uh, uh, Song of Solomon. But wisdom literature is primarily known as Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Those are the wisdom literature books, and they take on a little different form. Some have called Proverbs really a book of Hebrew poetry, and we think of a proverb as a short, pithy saying, don't we? Well, look at verse 1 again. And we see the author and the literary form of this was what is to follow. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, Wes read for you out of 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34. And Solomon was the third king of Israel. Of course, David his father, and then before him was Saul, the first king of Israel. And so this is identified as Solomon. His name appears at the beginning of three sections of the book of Proverbs. In fact, on the back of the sermon outline is a chart. If you're a chart guy, I'm a chart guy, and it helps me understand the overall structure. I like to call it the big chunks of a book of the Bible. That gives me handles to hold on to. And so there are divisions here. The focus is the purpose of Proverbs, Proverbs to youth uh, through chapter 9, Proverbs of Solomon, Proverbs of Solomon collected by Hezekiah, words of Agur, words of Lemuel. But So that will hopefully help you as we go through portions of the book of Proverbs. We will not cover it all, but we will cover some high points here. But today... We need just to orient us to the book of Proverbs. But Solomon's name appears in these three sections, uh, chapter 1 here, verse 1, for chapters 1 through 9. Then again, his name appears, the Proverbs of Solomon, in chapter 10, verse 1. 
And then again in chapter 25, verse 1, for chapters 25 through 29. Those are called structure markers, and in your personal Bible study, it is good to note the structural markers, like the book of Proverbs can be marked by the fact that there are different authors listed or people listed, and Solomon being the major one. He didn't write all of the Proverbs, but he is the major contributor to that. According to the passage that Wes wrote for us, he spoke over 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs, but only 800 of Solomon's Proverbs occur here in this book. Uh, No man is better qualified than Solomon to be the major contributor to a book on wise sayings, uh, just by God's declaration of who and what he is. Uh, People from foreign lands came to hear him speak, His breadth and knowledge of an aptitude and skill and perception were extraordinary. In every area, Solomon brought prosperity and glory to Israel until his later years. Uh, He tended to falter in his later years, which is a warning for us old guys. You don't want to falter in your later years. You want to finish well. So it's likely that Solomon collected and edited other Proverbs, Uh, Israel was not the only nation or ethnic group that collected Proverbs. The Egyptians had Proverbs. African peoples had Proverbs. Uh, Arab nations had Proverbs. But Solomon collected them, and according to Ecclesiastes 12.9, it says there that he pondered and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. Uh, He was a The second part of uh, this assembly was assembled by the scribes of King Hezekiah some 250 years after Solomon lived. And during that time, the prophets Isaiah and Micah were ministering during Hezekiah's time, and uh, it's been suggested that they contributed and were involved in this collection also. Uh, Chapter 30, where it says Agar with the oracle, and chapter 31, King Lemuel, the oracle, are listed as the writers. And uh, there's no information, biblical information, about these two. Uh, Agar, the son of Jacob, in chapter 30, verse 1, is simply called an oracle, and Lemuel is called a king and an oracle in chapter 31, verse 1. Both have been identified as Solomon using different names, and that's just purely conjecture. We don't know that. Uh, But just so you're aware, that could have been Solomon. Uh, We just don't know, and there's not enough evidence to come down firmly on a position of who those two individuals were. Uh, Also remember that Proverbs is not a book of promises. It is not a book of promises. It is a book of maxims or general truths that God has laid out for us, topical maxims. It's the product of the wisdom school of Israel. According to Jeremiah chapter 18 and Ezekiel chapter 7, there were three groups of people who communicated in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. First of all, there were the priests. They imparted the law, God's law to the people. Secondly, there were the prophets. They communicated the divine word and visions, in other words, the new revelation from God to the people. So the priests, prophets, and then the third group is the sages or the elders, we call them, and they gave counsel to the people. The sages provided the practical application of godly wisdom. That's why we come to wisdom literature for very practical instruction about how to live life. Uh, A good example of this is the preacher in Ecclesiastes. If you read Ecclesiastes, you'll know that he has called himself a preacher there. 
And it meant one who addresses the assembly. He presided over a school of wise men and taught the people knowledge, according to Ecclesiastes 12, 9. In uh, Proverbs, you'll see uh, my son addressed, especially in these first nine chapters, and it evidently refers to a pupil. Uh, It could have referred to a literal son, but to a pupil, this was parallel to Samuel's role in Israel of heading Israel's school of prophets. And so there was this mentorship, if you will. Solomon wrote his his Proverbs and collected his Proverbs about uh, 931 B.C., uh, to 950 in there, and his Proverbs in chapter 25, chapters 25 through 29 were collected by these uh, men of King Hezekiah some 250 years later, about 715 to 686 before the dispersion. Under Solomon, Israel was at its spiritual, political, and economic zenith. Solomon probably wrote his Proverbs in his middle years before his character began to decline into carnality, materialism, and idolatry. If you're familiar with Solomon's life, uh, he began to make foreign alliances, and by making these alliances, he had to marry uh, the daughters of these foreign kings, and that's why he ended up with so many wives at the end, and he ended up worshiping. They, they deflected him from worshiping the true God into idol worship. So Proverb, uh, Solomon did not finish well. In a survey of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs is probably, like I said, the most intensely practical book and worthy of our attention in the Old Testament because it describes skillful living, skillful living. Specific precepts precepts include instruction on wisdom and folly, obviously. The righteous and the wicked instructs us about the tongue, pride and humility, justice and vengeance. It instructs us about our families and family structure, laziness and work, Poverty and wealth, friends and neighbors, lust and love, anger and strife, masters and servants, life and death. And all of us are affected in those areas in some manner, form, or fashion. Proverbs touches upon every facet of human relationships and its principles transcend the bounds of time and culture. One of the things, especially as you read the Old Testament, you have to ask yourself the question, does this command or... Uh, Does this passage transcend time and culture? In other words, is it true for all peoples at all places at all times? And, of course, uh, many of them are not. I've often said that the Bible is written for us, but portions of the Bible are not written to us specifically. For instance, one of my favorite verses is out of uh, Numbers, I believe it is, is, Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk. I have never violated that command. Well, it wasn't written to me to begin with, and I could do it if I wanted to, but it was written for a purpose in Israel, and there's many like that. Just a heads up on that. But Proverbs touches every facet of human relationships and is very important for us. The word Proverbs, in uh, your Bible, it may have the Proverbs of Solomon as a title or just the Proverbs. Uh, Actually, that is a Latin term. That comes out of Latin. The Hebrew term is uh, a word, excuse me, uh, that means mashal, or it's, it, the root word is mashal in Hebrew, and it means comparison, similar, or parallel. It proverb uses a comparison or a figure of speech to make a pithy or poignant observation. Proverbs have been defined as simple illustrations that expose the fundamental realities about life. These maxims are not theoretical, but they are very practical. They are easily memorized based on real-life experience and designed for use in the mainstream of life. 
The Proverbs are general statements and illustrations of timeless truth which allow for but do not condone exceptions to the rule. The key word in Proverbs is wisdom. It means literally skill in living. Wisdom is more than shrewdness. It's more than intellect or intelligence. Instead, it relies on, it relates to practical righteousness and moral acumen. And so a proverb, the key word, is to live skillfully or wisely. Now, there are many proverbs. Uh, Help me here. You can lead a horse to water. Can't make them drink, okay? Uh, So there's, there's a proverb that comes out of human wisdom. The difference between the collection of proverbs in Egypt, in Africa, in any nation, even in our own nation, there's a number of proverbs. Uh, the difference is, is that these are divine guidances here. Uh, it's not human wisdom. These are divine guidance. A godly life in an ungodly world is how to live life skillfully as we navigate the treacherous waters of the cultures that we are living in and exposed to. There's no simple, it's no simple assignment. As you well know, if you've lived on this earth very, very long, And uh, this book provides us with detailed instructions for God's people to deal successfully with practical affairs of everyday life, how to relate to God, how to be parents, how to be uh, children, how to raise children, how to be good neighbors, how to relate to government. And so those are a number of things. That's the the (coughs) author, essentially, and uh, the literature style in these Proverbs. Actually, as you go through, the reason they call Proverbs a book of poems is because there are couplets in poetry. And I was, you know, I missed that day of class in seventh grade, and I really never got up to speed with poetry. But my understanding are there are couplets, there are pairs that go through the book of Proverbs, and you'll be, we'll begin to sort those out as we start going through Proverbs. Again, remember, Proverbs are maxims, they're not promises. The proverb that says, raise a child in the way it should go, and he will not depart from it. That is not a promise. That is a maxim. That is a general truth uh, that God has given to us. It means that we should try to do that, but there are good Christian parents who have children who have gone the wrong way. Uh, So remember that these are not promises. The purpose of Proverbs we find in verses 2 through 6. Solomon lays out the purpose right in verses 2 through 6. Remember that? And notice uh, as you go through these verses, underline the verbs the action words, to know wisdom instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equality. Verse 4, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. Verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so it's, it's about Mental acuity, isn't it? It's about knowing, hearing, understanding, and there are these issues of the purpose of Proverbs. There are words of wisdom and instruction. Those words complement each other because the Hebrew word for wisdom means skill, and the Hebrew word for instruction means discipline. No skill is perfected without discipline. That's the downside of any time I want to do artwork is I'm not disciplined enough. And therefore, my skill lags behind. Uh, I, think, I follow on Instagram. I follow a saddle maker down in Utah. He's a young guy, and he's a leather worker, and he builds Western saddles. And they are works of art. They are just beautiful. 
And I recognized, and I, I, he posts a picture every morning. I, the guy works every day, except Sunday, because he's a believer. But he's there, and he's encouraging others, and he's teaching others his skill, his art of leather tooling and leather work and building Western saddles. And I think, you know, he's a young guy. The only way he got there is he spent hours and hours and hours disciplined to learn the craft. Proverbs deals with the most fundamental skill of all, practical righteousness. If we're not disciplined, we will never acquire the skill of practical righteousness before God in every area of life. And this is the desire of the book book of Proverbs is that we grow in this practical righteousness. It requires knowledge, experience, and willingness to put God first. Look at Proverbs, page over to Proverbs chapter 3. You've memorized these verses probably verse 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your body and refreshment for your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so it goes on there. But Proverbs is intensely practical. And it's the discipline to apply the skills that we have learned. This book serves as a manual to impart a legacy of wisdom, prudence, understanding, discretion, knowledge, guidance, competence, correction, counsel, and truth from generation to generation. You know, that is our our job here, is we want to pass the truth on to the following generation, whether you're uh, ancient like me or whether you are 20 years old or 15 years old. Your biggest job is to pass the truth on to the next generation. What a great thing to do. Well, in these verses, there are four characteristics of biblical wisdom. Four characteristics of biblical wisdom. First of all, Proverbs is practical. It is practical. Wisdom includes the idea of common sense and the ability to cope with daily problems and can also refer to occupational skills. Some have defined wisdom as knowledge uh, with experience. And uh, so Proverbs is very practical. As you go through the book of Proverbs, you will see that on every page. Secondly, Proverbs is intellectual. Uh, This uh, militates against the idea that the world has that we Christians check our brains when we come in these doors. We are the last people to zone out and check our brains. Proverbs is intellectual. This is implied in words like understanding and knowledge. And Solomon's own fascination with natural history illustrates this, that last part of that passage in first kings about solomon he knew a lot of stuff he used his brain thirdly proverbs is moral and involves self-control this is indicated in words like right and fair and discipline that there is a disciplined life and fourth and finally proverbs draws the reader into the mysteries of life all of us would admit and recognize there are things in life we just do not understand there are things in the bible we do not understand and there are these, these, these paradoxes, these things in life, uh, and he talks about this. It's implied in the terms parables and riddles. The ancients were intrigued by riddles. Judges 14 tells us that. But it's more than just entertainment. Uh, biblical wisdom seeks to resolve or at least adjust to the ambiguities of life. It seeks to be the reality behind the appearances. It affirms the, to the believer that we can understand what sometimes other people cannot because God is giving us insight in it. So we come to the theme or the credo for wise living. 
in verse 7. The theme of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is the central text of this whole 31 chapters. That is the key for the rest of what follows. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs also, as you read Proverbs, it points us to Jesus Christ. The gospel message is not presented in the book of Proverbs, but he is the epitome of wisdom. In Colossians 2.3, it tells us, Paul tells us, that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the epitome. He is the fulfillment of all godly wisdom and treasures in him. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There's much confusion about what the fear of the Lord is, and I was thinking of trying to think of a, a simple, maybe, illustration of that. And uh, so far, you may have a better one. If you do, let me know. I, I always appreciate that. But I was thinking, uh, I used to think of the fear of the Lord uh, before I became a believer and then a little bit after that. It was like driving down the street and suddenly seeing a policeman in a police vehicle in your rearview mirror. Uh, but actually there's a better picture of the fear of the Lord. It's like a teenage driver who suddenly spots her father's car in her rearview mirror. Seeing him back there puts her on notice to be on her best behavior, use her turn signals to stop at the yellow light, to keep both hands on the wheel, but it also tells her that her father cares enough for her to follow her. It tells her that she is safe. Her father isn't trying to trap her or trick her, He's trying to help her develop good habits, not to just be careful on this trip, but to obey the laws and stay safe until she gets to her destination. She's driving on her own, but not completely on her own. And so it is for us, the people of God. The fear of the Lord means we live life with our Heavenly Father always in view. We glance up, we see his brilliant holiness, but also his care and his love. Our response, the fear of the Lord, is a mix of reverence, trust, and love to stand in law awe of his righteousness, his majesty, and power to trust him by humbly depending upon him. There is a reciprocal relationship here because the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, but wisdom leads to knowledge and the fear of God. There is a completion of that thought. Verse 7 ties this fundamental principle of biblical wisdom. To recognition that many will reject wisdom, just like our friend Franz did up here. There was much wisdom that tried to prevent him from doing what he did, and yet he rejected it. And in our day, there are people who reject the wisdom of the Lord. And it says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Sad to say, that can include Christians. In my own experience, I've been exposed to Christians who uh, are not teachable. May you never lose the ability to be teachable. There's always more to learn. And so we need not to be fools. In this fashion, the polarity of the entire book of Proverbs, the way of the wise and the way of fool is introduced. If you're familiar, especially in the first nine chapters, he will play off of these two concepts of wisdom and foolishness. The reader faces the alternatives, and we are challenged to attain wisdom through the fear of God. There's an associate professor of sociology at the University of Florida. Her name is Dr. Monica Ardelt, and she's done extensive research in the area of human wisdom and how it relates to aging, because we hope we, as we age, we get wiser and wiser. She states that wisdom is the rediscovery of the significance of old truths 
through a deeper and more profound understanding of events. She adds that while wise people do not necessarily learn more facts than other individuals, they comprehend them in a different way and with a deeper meaning for themselves. And so the question today is, is how are you doing at being wise? Now, all of us make dumb decisions. You know, it's not the idea that you are, have a perfect record of never making a dumb decision. But how are you doing at being wise? Are you living a life that is marinated in God's word? Are you acquiring wisdom found in deep contemplation and thought about God's word? Or do you just spout words that sound wise, just like Job's counselors did in the other wisdom book, one of the wisdom books of Job? Uh, Job described those insights as tasteless food in Job 12.12. 12. And to that, I heard one commentator say, yuck, very profound. We don't want tasteless food. You know, my personal goal is I don't just want to grow old. I want to grow wise. I want to grow wise. Back to the airplane panel. You're sitting in the left seat of this particular aircraft. This is your view uh, without the numbers and all that. But uh, uh, when you think of the book of Proverbs, how are you doing in the pace of life? Maybe you're going too fast. Uh, actually, on that airspeed indicator, if you exceed a certain number in that particular aircraft, you're in danger of the aircraft falling apart. You don't want to do that. And your life could fall apart if your speed is not adjusted. You could be going too fast or too slow. Uh, both are not a good thing. Uh, the attitude indicator. I want a T-shirt that says attitude indicator, <laughs> you know, to remind myself, how's my attitude doing? Uh, am I leaning towards bitterness or anger? Or am I leaning the other way towards self-pity uh, and those destructive kinds of things? And then the altimeter, how is my elevation? Am I uh, keeping it up where I need to be? Is, is God in the forefront of my sight? Because uh, if you get too low, you're in danger. If you get too high, you run out of oxygen. You don't want either of those. Vertical speed indicator, you're either going to crash or you're going like a, a zenith straight up and you're going to stall. Uh, heading indicator, what's your destination? Are you, are you on the, going on the right, right path? Are you on the compass or your direction going the way you want it to go? And turn coordinator, if I do have to change my direction, am I doing it in a good way? Am I doing it in a safe way? And uh, I didn't mention the yellow card in the upper left-hand corner. That is the, uh, a, little, a little tablet in that uh, blister pack. And it's to tell you if there is, uh, let me remind myself, yeah, carbon monoxide detector. And it stays a certain color, but if suddenly you get carbon monoxide in that aircraft, it's going to change color and let you know you better get on the ground before you pass out. And then that's the end of that. And uh, carbon monoxide is a poison. And I think of what is there in our lives. I wish, you know, in our, our attitudes, our day-to-day -day life, that we had a little card like that, carbon monoxide or poison detector that we would wear on our sleeve, and it would tell us, oh, you're in danger here. Whatever you're doing in life is, is poisoning you. And uh, so we need to recognize that there are poisons out there that will take us astray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for... Uh, blessing us uh, with uh, Solomon's wisdom, which ultimately is your wisdom. And thank you for this book of Proverbs. And may, as we go through it in the weeks ahead, may you be honored and glorified. May we recognize the practicality of the book of Proverbs 
and rejoice in it and allow you to apply these truths to our lives. And may we use them every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.